travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. The Republic of Maldives is a collection of 1,200 small coral islands in the north-central Indian Ocean, with about only 200 of them being inhabited. Famous for luxury bungalows on stilts above stunning clear water, no natural point is actually higher than 1.8 meters in this country, and there's a population of less than 600,000. The country stretches about 820 kilometers north to south and a bit more than 130 kilometers from east to west, covering a huge swath of of ocean. Put on a tropical shirt and let's discover Maldives with travel writer Tom Masters from Bangkok. I'm Scott and Trevor in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. What's up, Scott? Just trying to wrap my head around Maldives. We haven't done kind of tropical island episodes very often, let alone in tropical island nations. So I got to admit, I don't really know much about this place aside from that picture in my head of the luxury bungalow above crystal clear waters. Yeah, you know, I had an opportunity to travel there in December 2019. I had a kind of all expenses paid opportunity to to go for a couple of weeks if I wanted to, but unfortunately, I didn't have the opportunity to. And then just recently, I had some friends from Hawaii. They went on a live aboard surf, dive and fishing boat. Uh to the Maldives and invited me along on that. And I wasn't really able to go then either, but fortunately I did get to spend a bit of time each time going on Google maps and, and kind of getting a, a lay of the land and, and learning a little bit about the culture. Cause I did edit some, some, some stuff for this one resorts, uh, marketing materials. So it, it seems spectacular. It seems like there's a, a, an amazing number of things to do, although they're all like water oriented, um, for the most part, uh, that's kind of my jam, you know? Yeah. All I have in my head is a week in one of those stunning kind of lodgings that I mentioned. I did look up a few facts. I mean, I was shocked that it stretches such a long distance. Number one, there's about 140,000 people live in Mali, the capital. And to me, this incredible number, 1.5 million tourists visit annually and four fifths of the country's GP is from the service sector. So you consider there's just under 600,000 people living there and it's a long way from anywhere. And they've got basically triple that number of residents coming every year somewhere very remote. That is a massive dependency on tourism. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's like world famous, spectacular beauty. They didn't just build these fancy resorts there because it wasn't one of the world's most beautiful places. But yeah, the numbers are kind of surprising. You, you figure there's three times as many tourists as there are inhabitants almost. Um, so it's not surprising that, that, you know, 80% of their GDP comes from tourism revenue. Um, but I know that it's like sinking, right? Or the oceans are rising. So I, I know that they're always mentioned as well when you're talking about climate change and, and places under threat from rising sea levels. 
Absolutely. So we did also see in our research that it was briefly a Portuguese and a British colony, and they achieved independence in the 1970s. And I know that there's a bit of a hardline Muslim government there, I believe. But Trevor, before we get into our guest, I know that you found 10 reasons to travel the Maldives. What are those? I don't know. I just Googled something to to get some ideas for, for discussing with our guest. And, you know, we all know that there's spectacular underwater things, but it's famous for manta rays, for, for sharks, uh, for, for scuba diving and, and fishing in general. But one of the famous things to do there is swimming in the bioluminescent uh, water under the stars, uh, which is something I did here recently in Cambodia, but uh, it's pretty spectacular. It's interesting that it does have this colonial history, but because the islands are, are not so populated, you know, like I think it's easier to see some of the older buildings in Mali, but not so much elsewhere. So uh, maybe we'll get our guests in here to give us a little bit more insight on uh, some specific information about the things to do and see in the Maldives. <laughs> Yeah, and just before we do, we want to thank all of our patrons. Those are people that donate some money every month to keep things going. People like Gary B. So if you enjoyed this show, please give it a rating. But also you can go to patreon.com, sponsor us from a couple dollars all the way up to many dollars a month. And we give our patrons a bonus little episode in between all the regular ones. So thanks, Gary B. and other patrons. Get on board and help us keep it going. Let's get talking to Tom. Originally from London, journalist, travel writer, and worldly gentleman Tom Masters has covered the world and then some. Based out of Berlin for more than a decade, he specializes in the former Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, and Latin America. He's also interested in human rights, ecotourism, ethical travel, and languages, of which he speaks five, Russian, German, French, and Spanish, as well as English. He's written books for Lonely Planet, covering countries from Turkmenistan all the way to Cuba, worked as a documentary producer for the BBC, Discovery, and joins us online from Berlin. Thanks for making time for us, Tom. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Hey, you're welcome. Okay, so how did Tom first get into travel writing? I think since childhood, it's just been about the only thing I wanted to do. I wrote to Lonely Planet when I was about 23, uh, suggesting that they do a guidebook to Albania, which they politely refused, uh, declined rather to do. And, um, and But they invited me to come in for an interview, and I started writing then. That's almost 20 years ago now. Just kind of surprisingly easy, really. Yeah, Albania. And, uh, you know, looking at the, the countries that you did, the former Soviet states, Eastern Europe, uh, the book on Turkmenistan, Cuba as well, it seems that you specialize in, in a certain type of destination that maybe the Maldives doesn't normally fall under. Yeah, you, there, there is a pattern, um, certainly. Um, and actually, I was uh, very surprised to find out when I first went to Maldives, it did, to, you know, to some extent, fit into that pattern, because it was you know, it's still uh, the tail end of a very unpleasant dictatorship, uh, which was eventually, um, well, which eventually gave up power. Um, but it was that, I, I suddenly found this new, new interesting angle to Maldives because I had no idea. I mean, I, I literally knew nothing about Maldives when I arrived there for the first time. So it was a very steep learning curve. On that note, what first brought you to Maldives and, and what was that experience like? When I started working for Lonely Planet, they a few years in, they contacted me and said, oh, um, I see you're interested in writing a book about the Maldives. And I had never even really, I couldn't really tell you where the Maldives was. I couldn't have told you where the Maldives were at that stage. <laughs> um, I think it must have been some kind of administrative error. But I was, you know, I'm never one to look a gift horse in the mouth. So sure. I said, yes, that's correct. Yeah. 
And I remember having to look up where the Maldives were in an atlas, an actual atlas, because this was in 2006 or something. I, I was quite surprised because I thought they might be in the Pacific. So I'm losing lots of travel writer points here. Uh, yeah, so I, I took, I jumped at the opportunity though and, um, was very, very surprised by the Maldives really. Um, most of all, just by the heat, because I don't think I'd ever really spent that much time in the tropics at that stage of my life. But also just how much, how much there is there that is not just the, the typical idea that people have of the Maldives. It's some exotic. Well, I, you said it's hot, but what I imagine is just that you're always a stone's throw from the ocean and you could jump in at any time and cool off. But why don't you just give us a quick overview of the country, uh, just for our listeners who also may not know much about the country? Well, the Maldives is a collection of, I think, 17 uh, coral atolls, about 1,200 islands, um, the vast majority of which are not inhabited. Geographically, it's a complete anomaly. I don't think there's, there's probably almost nowhere like it in the world. The highest point is just a few meters above sea level. There's, you know, so most Maldivians uh, who haven't had the chance to leave the country have never seen a hill, let alone a mountain. It's also it's so far from everywhere. And on the map, you know, it, you see uh, India is not far away, but actually it's, it really is not nearby. Um, so there's the people who live there are incredible simply because for centuries they've subsisted on essentially fish uh, and the few fruits that grow there. Um, and, you know, they only drink rainwater that collects at the center of each island. Um, or, you know, they always historically have done that. Um, so they, uh, yeah, I think just that alone makes it a fascinating place. Especially, you know, before we even start talking about the beauty, it's um, become known for, of course, the fact that it has the most perfect white beaches and uh, turquoise um, azure sea uh, imaginable. Uh, I mean, every single beach really does. Yeah, as a writer, like do you find yourself really? overusing the word azure? <laughs> In... <laughs> I know most of the most of the shades of blue now. I can't actually identify them, but I can listen. <laughs> but they're them. all there, right? In the Maldives, you probably see every color. Absolutely, yeah. Certainly, it would take a, a more experienced eye than mine to tell you exactly how they break down. But yeah, I mean, the colors are incredible. I think most people assume that pictures they see in the Maldives are photoshopped or have extreme filters on them. I was completely amazed to find out that that's absolutely not the case, simply because it's not necessary. So the only picture I ignorantly have in my head is, I think, the picture most people have, and that's that luxury hotel room on stilts above that clear water is there more to the maldives than that or or is that what you go to do to be on the water and to do water stuff or is the other stuff to do there is other stuff to do certainly but the reason you go there is really for that um, i think it's very it's very counterintuitive really for me as a, as a travel writer to say something like that because you spend your whole life saying oh you know, you have to, you know, get into the backwoods and, you know, go to this village that no one's ever been to before. That's not really possible in Maldives. It's, it's just so strange with the geography uh, of the country. There are not sites in the typical sense of the word. There are, there is obviously a lot of history there. Um, most of which can be seen in the capital, Mali, which is a very, very crowded, but very interesting, uh, island, which, you know, where you know, around half the population of the country lives. As soon as you get out into what they call the atolls, which is the rest of the islands of the country, um, you will find that um, there's very, very, very little to do apart from 
go swimming, go diving, lie on the beach. Uh, and even those are somewhat restricted if you're on a, an inhabited island, as they call them, which is where the local people live, uh, as opposed to a resort, which is completely separate from the rest of the population. So you have, a, you basically have to choose if you, if you want to have, uh, your, the fundamental choice you have to make with Maldives is, is if you want to go to a resort or you, if you want to go to an inhabited island where you can actually interact with local people. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because uh, I ha recently had an opportunity. Actually, I've had two recent opportunities in the past couple of years to go to Maldives, and I, I wasn't able to go either time, unfortunately. But I got to spend a lot of time you know, learning about it and looking at maps about the Maldives. And one thing I learned was that it, you used to, as a visitor, exclusively only be able to stay at the resorts. And apparently in recent years, they made it possible for people to, to stay on some of the other islands where local people lived. And I don't know whether there was homestay opportunities or that was something that the government was trying to avoid. Um, but it seemed like there was more opportunities to to do something other than a resort. Again, I don't necessarily know why, because if you're going to Maldives, you're going to want to dive and swim with manta rays and, and cool things like that. But did you visit there since they opened up uh, the possibilities a little bit? Oh, yeah. Uh, that happened around 2007 uh, when uh, democracy came to the island. Uh, the first democratically elected president introduced you know, a few measures which completely changed society there. Tourism had always been completely separate from the main, mainstream uh, population since its inception in the 70s. So uh, this was a, actually a huge step because it was actually illegal to stay the night uh, on an inhabited island um, and, until 2007, I believe. Wow. Um, so since, th since then, anybody uh, has had the opportunity to open a guest house if they want to. Uh, which has meant that people interact massively much more with the uh, local population, which has brought all kinds of change, both good and bad, I think, for the country. But the, you know, you can do either back to, you know, you want, you said you, you wanted to go swimming with manta rays and go diving. You can do, you can do that anywhere. It's really, you can do that whether you're at a guest house on an inhabited island or in a resort. But what the real difference is, everything else that happens between that. So you can't drink, of course, on an inhabited island because this is a 100% uh, Sunni Muslim country um, that takes alcohol prescription of Islam very seriously. Uh, however, you can drink if you pay to stay in a resort because they're completely separate from the population and therefore not considered a threat. So the Maldivian government is still very happy to take you know, huge taxes on the alcohol that you're buying. Um, but yeah. Okay, so again, pardon the ignorance, and we've I've really been looking at Google Map while we've been talking and before. What I imagine is a typical trip there is you land in Malay, the capital, and then you jump on a hotel plane or boat and you go to your resort and you probably only stay there or maybe go to two that are close by because I assume otherwise you're paying a lot of money to fly some serious distances. Is that right? That is correct. The islands near, in, in the atolls right next to Malay, the capital, you'll usually travel by speedboat from the airport, you'll be picked up by your resort or guest house usually. Uh, that Those are not too expensive, usually about 100 to $200 a transfer, which of course, this is all relative. If you tell someone else it's going to cost you $200 to get to your hotel from the airport, you might immediately reconsider going to the location. But if you take, if you have to take a seaplane, which is a fantastic experience and mm. well worth doing it, easily the best way to see the country, um, from the air, because then you can really appreciate the geography, which is just so 
fascinatingly bizarre. Uh, but if you take those, I mean, you're looking at three, four, five hundred dollars return, which, uh, yeah, is a considerable expense for most people. Yeah. You know, so I guess if you're going, you're going to go all in then. Again, like I had that one opportunity I had to go was to, to work on this resort that uh, was offering all these different water activities. And, uh, you know, it is spectacular. There's like swimming with manta rays. There's like dolphin boat ride, sunset cocktails and amazing underwater attractions. There's probably turtles and sharks everywhere. I, I remember there was some sort of seasonality for the the manta rays so i guess scheduling when you go for what you want to do like i surf and my friends just were on a liveaboard boat so uh you know there's the boat option i guess to to experience maldives as well just because for me i'd want to be able to to bounce around a bit and then seaplanes sound awesome but they you couldn't do more than one just the return flight but to get around on a boat might be kind of cool yeah liveaboards i've never done one personally but uh some of them are incredible i mean that that is that's definitely the best way to if you want to see a lot of the country you know you can you travel uh, between atolls and have a, a vast variety of different islands and different dive sites you'll also be able to dive at places which are far away from any resort so you, you have the places entirely to yourself i know that i know the most famous dive site for manta rays in that's a Nunu atoll and yeah, that's amazing. I've done that. And unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's so crowded now, um, because people travel there from all over the other dozens of resorts in that atoll. And yeah, you can, it's actually, you, you, you can't actually see the manta rays often for the people there. Wow. That's too bad. Maybe the boat's the way to go. So I'm trying to picture a trip and I, we've talked to quite a few travel writers. And I guess there's two things I'm really thinking about. But one of them is, so as the guy that's written a travel book, what should a holiday look like? Or if someone says, I'm going to go to the Maldives, should they just be going and spending a week at one hotel? Or should they be spending a couple of weeks? Or what's, what's that trip look like? That's a very good question. And it's a very hard one to answer as well. I get asked all the time, what's your secret tip for Maldives? What, what's, you know, people have an idea that there's a resort where they can stay that's really, really cheap that isn't uh, still luxurious and that for some reason I haven't mentioned. I've, I always say if you're going to go to the Maldives, unless you are going as a, a budget traveler to one of the inhabited islands, you, you should only really go there if you really do have a lot of money to spend on your holiday. And I'm not talking, you know, a thousand, two thousand euros. I'm talking, you know, five thousand euros. You are looking at, I mean, a minimum at a resort even in the cheapest resorts, which are, you know, increasingly thin on the ground, uh, you are looking at two or $300 a night. Uh, then, you know, the, the, the top end, it's, it's just stupid. It, you know, I've, I've been to places where you, you pay 10 grand a night for a suite. And, uh, I mean, you know, they're very nice, but, uh, it's not really going to be an option for most people. So I, uh, my suggestion always is to limit yourself to one, Island, maybe two if you really don't want to just be based in one place. But the idea of traveling around the Maldives in the, in the way that we think about how we would travel around most countries as independent travelers, it's a little bit, first of all, irrelevant and secondly, kind of impossible. Um, I say irrelevant because there's actually very little geographic variation in the country. Yeah. Uh, and I hope any Maldivians listening will forgive me for saying this, but I'm sure they'll agree with me. Uh, you don't need to see every atoll because they all essentially look the same. I mean, they are extraordinarily uniform, but you know, luckily for them, it's extraordinary beauty. 
yeah, people often seem to think that the best way to, is to island hop, and and that is just very, very time-consuming and expensive. Yeah, at least stay within your atoll. Yeah, that's a, that's a good tip. Because again, if people look at a map, you can see that like there's so many islands. Like one of these atolls is is populated by you know maybe a hundred islands, right? Some of them are really close to each other. And oh, have yeah. little, some of them have sandbars. There's like these strings of sandbars that run along, around the edge of the atoll. Like it's it looks ridiculously nice. I mean, if you look at a, if you look at any atlas of the Maldives or any map of the Maldives, I mean it's just bizarre. I I remember flicking through just asking myself where the land was, because there's just, you know, over, over 99% of the territory is water. Uh, you can't, and actually, uh, what, what looks like islands on, on the map, in most cases, is just the, the lagoon. It's not even, it's not even land. Yeah. So, I mean, these are tiny strips. I mean, there are some islands disappear even um, in certain, certain times of the year, they're submerged. Um, there are others that are just, you know, essentially sandbars. I mean, def- no one's ever been able to define an island. Uh, in, in Maldives, so nobody can actually come up with a number of islands. It's rather, rather contentious, but the, the general agreement is around 1,200. Okay, so it sounds like if you go there, it's it, it again, it's not your typical holiday. You're not exploring, seeing at all, and you might not see beyond your hotel. So is it a fair question to say, what is Maldivian food like and what are the people like, or will you even experience that? That you do assume like it's all Maldivian people operating these resorts, so you're obviously interacting with the local people to some degree. But are, you, are they just taking you fishing and getting fresh Maldivian recipes, or is it resort food? Yes, you will interact with Maldivians for sure at the resort. There's a requirement by law, I think, of them of them employing fifty percent local people to boost local employment. But you aren't ever really going to have a particularly illuminating. Uh, introduction to Maldives in that way. The best thing to do if you want to actually explore the country when you're in a resort is to take a tour to a local island um, or, or to spend the night uh, or just the day even in Mali, the capital. Yeah. And that's the, the best way to actually get a sense of the local culture and people. Uh, as for food, yes, uh, you will find that nearly all resorts, 90% of the food is international hotel food of varying standards, but incredibly good in most cases. Uh, Mold- there's usually a Maldivian night, or they do Maldivian fish uh, barbecue or certain specialties, uh, but it's not really particularly authentic. If you go to a local island, you'll see that yeah, the way that people eat is very different. They tend to eat meals at home and go out for snacks and drink tea um, That's you know, in public. So the, the Maldivians have, they call them shorty which is really what we would call snacks. And these are available everywhere. Um, and they, they range from, and they're usually fish-based snacks, so tuna, seafood. It's very tasty and very cheap. So you can just go to one of the, to any, they're called uh, tea houses in, in Mali um, or any other town in Maldives, if you can find one, and, uh, and try that for you know, a couple of, couple of bucks. That must be a very healthy diet they have. Yeah, I think so. You know, I was thinking while you're explaining, if Mali, like Mali might be kind of an interesting town, like there must be places to stay there. Could you, could you, because maybe AirAsia mm. flies to Mali and then you could spend a few days just checking that place out and then trying to get on a day trip boat to some nearby atoll or something. Yeah, I, w- I would, uh, I wouldn't advise anyone spends their holiday in Mali, <laughs> but it's definitely worth spending a night or two there. I mean, I, I think it's a charming place. 
so the, the the airport is on an island across uh, the lagoon from Mali. Uh, it's now actually joined by a bridge, which is opened a few years ago. Uh, a very, very impressive bridge between the two. It's, it's, it's a quite a long distance, which is built by the Chinese. Uh, the, so it's very easy, even if you have a few hours between, you know, uh, arriving at the airport and, and you're connecting ferry to your resort or to the island you're staying at, you can, you can just uh, hop on. Uh, well, I presume it's now a bus. I haven't been there since the bridge opened. Presumably it's a bus over the, over the new bridge uh, and then spend an hour or two in walking around Mali and then get back to the airport very easily. So you mentioned earlier on that it uh, is rather hard line uh, Muslim destination. So if you're out in the capital, do people, particularly women, need to be covered up and very modest and so forth? That's a very interesting question because that's one of the major social changes that has occurred since the country opened up to tourism on local islands. When I first went to Mali in the, I think it was around 2006, you didn't really see any women, any local women who had a, who, who wore the hijab um, or covered their hair in any way. Within, completely wouldn't know by looking at it that it was, that it was an Islamic um, society at all. That is now completely changed. I would say 90% of women cover their hair in Mali and, and probably 100% in the island. So strangely enough, even though democracy came to the Maldives in 2007, in a de- democratic society, religious clerics were not repressed or kept, you know, kept under tight control by the government. They've actually grown in power. And in many ways, the country has become more conservative, more religious than it was uh, 15 years ago, um, which yeah is quite surprising. The question of modesty is a very important one, though, because a lot of people don't know this before coming to Maldives. And, and if they are staying on a, a local island they, or inhabited island, women will be expected to bathe only at the foreigner's beach. Most islands now have this, which is because women in the Maldives, otherwise, if they bathe um, at the sea at all, they will do it fully clothed. Beaches for Maldivians are not somewhere where you go and lie in the sun and you know, read a book, spend your holiday. Um, many of the beaches on inhabited islands are actually, oh, in, part, in the past, have been very dirty. They're kind of places that people would dump trash. Certainly, it wouldn't be considered somewhere you'd, you'd want to hang out. Hmm. But, but most islands now have a foreigner's beach, uh, where, or a bikini beach, they call them, where yes. bikinis um, or, you know, not, not, not being fully clothed for women is acceptable. Even men, you know, need to be aware that shorts aren't always acceptable either, um, especially short shorts. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a lot easier if, if you're male to, to avoid offending anybody with your lack of modesty, but everybody needs to be aware of that. Um, and that's one of the advantages of staying at a resort, of course, is that this is not an issue and you can, that, you can dress however you like there. It's, it's such a big country, geographically speaking, kind of, even though it occupies so little land. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, almost everybody's heard of it and has some idea of what to expect. And you've somewhat kind of verified our, our opinions, you know, that like, for the most part, the best experience you could have in Maldives, um, no offense to the people or the culture or anything, just is the spectacular beauty of, of the ocean and these atolls and what's underneath it, you know? So it seems like the best idea is to find the perfect atoll for you and <laughs> get a resort there. Yeah, I think that's it. It kind of pains me to say that because I want I, my, my natural instinct is, is not 
to say right. that. <laughs> it, it, it is hard. It's a, it's a very, it's a tough country because it, it doesn't really fit into any model that we would recognize of how tourism works. Everything's a bit counterintuitive and backwards. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I love the place, but I, I'm always very careful to caution people that to read up about it before they go and before they choose to spend thousands of uh, dollars on, on one place, because you know, it's not going to, it's not for everybody. So how long is long enough? One week is great. I think any, any more than one week on an island and you will start to go slightly insane. Uh, I do, I do think that two weeks is probably the most you would want to spend in the Maldives unless you have very specific interests um, in, in, in diving or surfing, whatever it is, and you need weeks and weeks of it. I, I've spent, you know, I regularly spent six weeks at a time traveling around the country and it's been very rewarding. But uh, yeah, I'm very, very glad to see dry land when I get back and hills. There is nothing like the Maldives. So I hope I haven't sounded too jaded in this. No, trying to be practical. But uh, yeah, the thing I should absolutely highlight is that the Maldives will not disappoint anybody who loves, you know, the beach and water and these incredible landscapes. Yeah. Everyone I know who's been there is completely spellbound by the place and can't really believe it exists. We hope that you'll share some of your photos with us uh, on our show notes on the website. We have a gallery of photos, uh, so I hope we can contribute some of those and our listeners can uh, oh, sure. share some to. links to some of your other work and uh, learn more about you. Oh, thank you so much. I'd be very happy to do that. Thanks for chatting with us, Tom. It's been a pleasure. That was interesting, and I'm, I'm not sure what to think because I don't think we've ever talked about a country, nor have I ever thought of traveling to a country where you don't really travel in the traditional sense. Like you don't go to see a bunch of places or, Hey, let's go check out this place and that place because the cost, the distance, and they're not really different from one another. That really was a bit of a moment of realization. This is really a different destination. Yeah. You know, again, I, I had those two experiences recently where I got an opportunity to go and the one was a super luxury resort. And that's uh, something that seems spectacular, you know, just because there are so many different day trip things to do. And now I don't know if some of these resorts are all inclusive or whether it's extra for the sunset dolphin cocktail cruise or, you know, <laughs> these different spa treatments. I don't know. Whether the, I, I would hope the resort's inclusive. That's probably the best way to do it. But otherwise, you know, my friends from Hawaii, Albert and his crew just went on a day boat or that, that uh, live aboard boat. Um, for like a week. And uh, I think that's really the best way to do it because the price wasn't crazy and it's all inclusive for, you know, your drinks and your food on the boat and stuff. And then you just fish and eat the fish you catch, just grill them up right there, you know? So I think that's the way I would do it if I had the opportunity to. So I think there are a couple options maybe, but it, it's kind of funny to hear Tom tell it you know, that he's like, he, he wants to find some more interesting insight or, you know, some exotic history, I'm sure, because that's the kind of writing he does elsewhere. Um, so it's funny just to hear him say, you know what, just, yeah, go for the resort because that's the best way to see it. Yeah, I suppose I would like to see it. It's never been high up on my list, I guess, mostly because I know it's super expensive. I guess if I was really had an abundance of spare cash, I would go for a week and really live it up. But I like to get out and see things and really do things and go places. And I don't know the idea of traveling that far to then sit in a resort, but I can also understand too, if you just wanted to get away from it all and experience that picture postcard, perfect image we've all seen at times, I guess 
why the hell not? So it, it is a very different destination that way. And, and each island is sort of its own little cocoon because it sounds like it's a pretty hardline Muslim kind of place. And you can only drink or be in bikinis and that because you're at a hotel on a tiny island in an atoll. Yeah, which is spectacularly beautiful, you know. So again, like you said, uh, if you can afford it, just splash out and stay for a week uh, or try and get a gig, uh, you know, writing a guidebook or there's always an angle, right? We could uh, get invited there to record a podcast uh, promoting someone. So if anybody listening uh, has a resort they want us to do an episode live from, we're, we're game. Otherwise, uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, Scott? Absolutely. So thanks, patrons, for supporting. If you like the show, give us a good rating wherever you're listening to this. Go to patreon.com, sponsor the show. You get a bonus episode in between each of the regular episodes. Learned a lot in this show. Hope you enjoyed it. See you in two weeks. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Cambodia?